Most of what people know about Nehemiah is one verse, which is Nehemiah 8 verse 10, which is the joy of the Lord is my strength. Most people don't even know that that's in the book of Nehemiah, but that's actually where it comes from. And, uh, you know, but he is such an incredible person in scripture. And I love it because, you know, uh, and we'll share some about this. Just God had put something in his heart that was just completely ridiculous and impossible. Has God ever done that to you? Put a dream, a desire, a burden, and you're thinking, God, you got the wrong address. Like, I'm not that, that's not me. Well, I'm going to show you some things. And so I want to give you just a little bit of the backstory so you can kind of understand the context of Nehemiah before we start looking at some passages of Scripture this morning. But the children of Israel at this point have been in captivity. They've been slaves for right at 400 years. So Nehemiah has never known freedom. Nehemiah has never made his own real decisions. He's what? He's somebody else's property. He's, he's a slave in a foreign land. And so he's never known freedom. He's, that's all he knows. He's serving in the house of a foreign king. And yet God puts a desire and stirs up something on the inside of him, a dream, if you will, in Nehemiah's heart that seems absolutely impossible. Now, I already told you, he has no money. He has no status. He has no ability. He has no form, function, reason why God would say, Nehemiah, you're my guy. But yet, Nehemiah gets a report from this land that he's never been to. And so I want to begin reading here uh, in verse 1 of Nehemiah chapter 1. And we're going to kind of read through this story, but uh, in different ways. But in verse 1 it says, these are the memoirs of Nehemiah, the son of Hakalah. It says, in late autumn... the Uh, In the month of Kislev, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes' reign, I was at the fortress of Zuzah. Hananiah, one of my brothers, came to visit me with some other men who had just arrived from Judah. He says, I asked them about the Jews who had returned from their captivity and about how things were going in Jerusalem. So to kind of give you some context here, Jerusalem's the city, Judea's the state. That would be the closest way that we could understand it for us. And so this is where his family is from, his heritage is, and he's wanting to know, hey, how's the homeland? Now he's never been there. It's kind of a curious question. They've been, his family has been in Babylon for 400 plus years. And yet his brother comes and he asks me, he says, hey, how are things back in the homeland? Verse three says, they said to me, things are not going well for those who had returned to the province of Judah. Says they are in great trouble and and Uh, disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem has been torn down and the gates have been destroyed by fire. Verse four says, when I heard this, I sat down and I wept. In fact, for days, for days, you ever been heartbroken, like really heartbroken, not like in a moment, but I mean, like you go to sleep and you wake up and you go to sleep and you, and you're still heartbroken. That's Nehemiah. He's heartbroken. He says that for days he mourned and he fasted and he prayed to God for days. See, sometimes I believe that God will put a dream in us, but, you know, if we're not careful, sometimes we'll look at a dream as, oh, it's just great and it's pleasant. But, you know, sometimes God will put something on your heart that's a burden. It's not all, you know, perfect and beautiful, but God puts something in your heart, stirs something in you. There's a passion in you that says that's not right and something needs to be done about that. That might be God stirring that in your heart and stirring that in your life. And here is Nehemiah in this moment because he's just as human as we are. 
And God stirs this in him that my homeland has been destroyed. You know, for a number of years, I lived a long way from home, about 700 miles from my family. And I can remember, and some of you can relate to this, that because you've lived away from family and you get a phone call and your whole world stops. Why? Because you feel completely helpless. I mean, I can remember multiple times where all I wanted to do was jump in the car and drive home. You know, my mom got a diagnosis one time and I was 700 miles away. It's helpless. It's heartbreaking. There were other circumstances, other situations that would come and you feel absolutely helpless. This is how Nehemiah felt. He was heartbroken. He mourned. He fasted and he prayed. What wisdom. He prayed. What do you do when you don't know what to do? How about you pray? Why? Because what we're doing when we pray is we're really looking to God and asking Him to help. Why? Because we can't. Some things are outside of our ability to impact or to change. Now, Nehemiah in this story, he begins to pray and he's feeling this moment. Now, let me just explain why this was such a big deal. The walls of the city in that day were everything. Now, we hear a lot in our society today about building a wall, right? There's a lot of tension about it, but in these days, it was absolutely crucial because it was your only line of defense from intruders. And as a matter of fact, even when you study culturally, the the walls of the city were a sign of its strength and a a sign of its stature. It was considered like the, the honor and the glory of the city. Now, some of you will know what I mean by this, but think about the walls of Jericho. They were massive. They were large. To put it in a modern context, they were so thick that you could put two NASCARs and race them around the top. They did chariot races, multiple wide, all the way around the city. People lived in the walls, and and it was considered that Jericho could never fall. But it was because of the walls and because of their protection, because of their ability to defend. And yet, when Nehemiah gets word from Jerusalem that the walls have not just been torn down, they've been burned. You ever burnt a rock? I mean, it take, you know, I mean, you really think about it. There's, there, there's, there's really nothing left. I mean, it has been just completely destroyed. Proverbs 25 verse 28 says this. It says, if you cannot control your anger, you are as helpless as a city without walls and open to attack. So even in our own personal lives, look, if you can't control your emotions, guess what? You're open to the attacks of the enemy. And here we see... and, and, and the, The reason I use this scripture is so that you understand, even culturally speaking, they understood the importance of a wall. They understood the importance of defense. And so even here, in this moment, Nehemiah is faced with a challenge that he really doesn't know what to do. See, Nehemiah was heartbroken, but now he has this burden. He has this thing on his heart that he can't shake. You know, God will do this. He he will bug you. You know, there's two ways to really find out uh, what God may have you or at least something that's pointing you in a direction. There's two ways that I can guarantee you'll find out things that God has for you to do and for you to be involved with. Number one is by the things you love. And number two are by the things you hate. The things that bother you. That righteous indignation. You might be called to solve that problem or at least help solve it. And that's part of how God will lead us. Not all the time, but... That is, many times you can look at those things. And Nehemiah in this moment, he has this burden from the Lord. But he knows enough to pray and to believe God that God would work for him. 
Now, I'll remind you, Nehemiah is a slave in a foreign land. But see, I believe the same, just as it was for Nehemiah, is true for us today. Many times is that God would stir something in us and we say, God, I, I couldn't do that. I, I, I'm not skilled for that. I, you know, I can't do these things. I'll tell you part of my own story. I failed speech in college three times. God says, you're going to preach. <laughs> Sir, I have paperwork to prove that no, I am not. <laughs> three times. See, God is looking not for the able. He's looking for the willing. God can make you able. It's the willing part that he, that he struggles with many times. And so God is looking for people like Nehemiah. God loves to use the underdog. He loves to use those who have been seemingly overlooked and forgotten. Those who are too messed up and too far gone. Those who are too limited to do anything of any importance. Let me say it this way in keeping with the title of our series. You may say, I could never do anything that would actually be legendary. Like, who am I? You, you don't know my limitations. No, maybe I don't, but I do know the God who is limitless, who you serve. Let me say that again. The God who is limitless. So many times we get so focused on our limitation and we lose sight of who God is and what His ability is and what He wants to use us to do. And so we discard ourselves and God never does. He never quits. He never stops. We see it throughout Scripture. See, God is looking for people who will partner with Him to bring about His dream. Now, I know you've heard that term. If you haven't, You've been under a rock somewhere. He is looking for people who will partner with him. See, partnership is different. Many times we pray and say, God do, God do, God do. And God says, I'm looking for a partner. I want somebody to come on the journey with me. I mean, isn't that just amazing, incredible to think about? That God invites us into his story. It's an invitation to come and to be a part of what he's doing. Like, well, what is God's dream? I believe ultimately it's about expanding God's kingdom. And you're like, okay, what does that mean? It means touching one more person with the power of Christ. It's expanding the influence of God. Well, the only way that influence is going to expand is through us. See, this is what's happening in this story of Nehemiah. There's several verses that I'd like to share with you. Uh, First would be in Ezekiel twenty two thirty. This is in context another similar situation where God is looking at a bad situation. In verse thirty, I'm going to read this out of the message. He says, "I looked for someone to stand up for me against all of this, to repair the defenses of the city, to take a stand for me, and to stand in the gap to protect this land, so I would not have to destroy it." But I could not find anyone, not one. See, we have a lot going on in our culture, in our society today. Everybody wants to point the finger. Well, how do you fix it? The Bible's pretty clear. It's when righteous people live righteously. There's lots of problems, but over in Proverbs chapter 14, verse 34, it says that righteousness exalts a nation. Not power, not money, not wisdom, righteousness. God's people living in a way that would honor Him is what exalts a nation. So let me say it this way. If we want to fix our nation, we need to fix us. It's us. It's, it's our heart. 
And it's touching one more person and reaching one more person. And righteousness is what exalts a nation. It goes on here and says that sin is a reproach to any people. Well, how do you get people to stop sinning? You get them to understand righteousness. That's how it works. It's not just behavior modification. I'm going to be better next week than I was this week. I'm not going to yell at my kids like I did. I'm not going to kick my dog because I was mad. It's none of those things. It's a heart that is alive unto God, that is cooperating through the Holy Spirit with the work that God is doing in them. That's how we see this come about. The message translation says it this way, is that God devotion makes a country strong. God devotion makes a country strong. One of my favorite verses is James 5, 16. It says, the prayers of the righteous ones are dynamic. They're powerful. I like to say it this way. My prayers are a force to be reckoned with. When I pray, things are going to happen. Now, you may not be able to say that, but I can tell you this. If you are blood-bought by the blood of Jesus, the Bible says you are righteous. So I I would encourage you to adopt that. When I pray, things happen. We were just singing about it. At the name of Jesus, darkness is going to start trembling. Not because of who I am, but because of what I have, which is the authority of Christ. So when I pray, dadgummit, according to the word of God. We shouldn't live afraid of the devil. I want him to be afraid of me. Like, oh shoot, here he comes. That's the way we should be. Let's pick back up here at the story of Nehemiah. In verse 5 he says, so Nehemiah has this, he's mourning, and then it's, so I'm going to read his prayer in verse 5. He says, then I said, O Lord, God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps his co- um, covenant of unfailing love with those who love him and obey his commands, listen to my prayer. Look down and see me praying night and day for the people of Israel. I confess that I have sinned against you. Yes, even my own family and I have sinned. We have sinned terribly by not obeying the laws, the decrees, the regulations that you gave us Through your servant, Moses. He just starts repenting for everybody. I repent for my mama, my daddy, my grandparents, the nation. Like, I'm sorry for just Let me just get it out there. See, there's humility in that. That's key. If if you want to make a difference, like if you really want to be a legend, if you want to make like a massive impact way beyond the scope of your ability in and of yourself, there, there has to be a dependency upon the Lord. He goes on in verse 8, he continues praying, and he says, Please remember what you told your servant Moses. If you, being the children of Israel, are unfaithful to me, I will scatter you among the nations. But, but, if you return to me and obey my commands and live by them, even if you are exiled to the ends of the earth, I will bring you back to the place I have chosen for my name to be honored. So he understands what God has promised. He says, look, if you'll follow me, I'm going to take care of you, but if you don't, you're going to get scattered. But he says, but God, you said, if we would honor you, you would honor us. He goes on in verse 10, he says, the people that you have rescued by your great power and your strong hand are your servants. He says, oh Lord, please. You ever pray to, oh please, prayer? That's sanctified begging, by the way. He says, oh Lord, please hear my prayer. Listen to the prayers of those of us who delight in honoring you. And please grant me success today. 
By making the king favorable to me, put it in his heart to be kind to me. It says, in those days, I was the, the king's cupbearer. Now, culturally speaking, there was, uh, it was customary. As I said, Nehemiah was a servant. He was a slave in the house of a foreign king. But there were certain protocols that were, you know, how many of you, how many of you ladies watched the royal wedding? Man, y'all don't even care about the wedding, do you? <laughs> Praise the Lord. But there's protocol, you know, and all of these things. Well, there's certain protocol for Nehemiah as the cupbearer. Number one, you got to mind your P's and Q's. You got to be on target. You better be happy. You better be polite. You better be on time. Don't you dare come late because guess what? They'll shoot you like a stray dog. That's actually true. People were products, not people in that culture. If he was late... They just, he got replaced. But that was the end of the story for Nehemiah in that moment. If he looked down, if he was sick, he was never allowed to be in the presence of the king. Why? Because what happened if he'd get the king sick? So, you know, so that's why he's asking, because the king has ultimate authority over Nehemiah. I mean, Nehemiah doesn't go to the bathroom without permission. And yet he prays this crazy prayer. God, you gave me this just stupid dream. I've got this burden and I don't know what to do and I don't know how to do anything about it. And he says, Lord, would you cause the king to be favorable to me? Now we pick up here and we're continuing on here in chapter 2 of verse 1. So I just want to remind you quickly. He says, please grant me success today. Today was his prayer. Now this was in the fall, November, December of, the, of that calendar year. Now it says, it picks up in verse 1 of chapter 2, it says, early the following spring, this is actually April or May, approximately six months later have gone by. Now Nehemiah had prayed and said, Lord, give me favor today. But six months have gone by. You ever prayed a prayer where you're like, God, I thought you were going to work for me back there. And six months later, you're still like, God, uh, did I, where's my prayer? Just because, some, just because something gets delayed doesn't mean that you've been denied. It just means that God says not yet. It's not time. Early in the spring, the month of Nisan, so during the 20th year of King Artaxerxes reign, says, I was serving the king his wine and I had never appeared sad in his presence. He's a good employee. He showed up with a smile on his face on time to work. Verse 2 says, so the king asked me, why are you looking so sad? You don't look, he says, you don't look sick, but you must be deeply troubled. Then I was terrified. So that actually confirms what I just told you. Is that he knew his life was on the line in that moment. I was not just scared, not just, he was terrified. It says in verse 3, but I replied, long live the king. How can I not be sad for the city where my ancestors are buried is in ruins and the gates have been destroyed? This is one of the most fascinating scriptures in Nehemiah to me. And I've studied this book a lot. It's one of my favorite stories. In verse 4, the king asked, well, how can I help you? The king, talking to his slave, says, Nehemiah, what's up? What's wrong with you today? Nehemiah shares his burden and, and the king's response is just unimaginable. How can I help you? This is favor in action. 
Favor is unexplainable. You can't buy it. Favor will do more for you than all of your effort, all of your work, all of your networking and manipulation. God's favor in your life can do so much more. I would rather have all the favor in the world than all the skill in the world. The Bible says in Luke 2.52 that that Jesus grew in wisdom and in stature before God and man. Other translations say that he grew in wisdom and favor with God and man. How did Jesus do what he did? Favor. You're like, well, how do you know that? He went and took somebody's donkey and they just said, okay. The master has need of your car. I mean, think about that. If I was, came to you and I said, hey, I need your car keys. You don't know me, but Pastor John needs your car. Excuse me? Now, you would probably do it for him. Why? Because you have favor towards him. See, Nehemiah asked this crazy question. I love this second part here in verse 4. He says, with a prayer to God. Here's just a little side note for you. Sometimes before you respond, you need to pray. Don't be so happy to give an answer without praying first. And he says, with a prayer to God. He says, I replied, he says, if it pleased the king and if you are pleased with me. See, I think many times we want to be used by God and we're like, God, you, I, I need your favor and you're going to do these mighty things through me and it's going to be awesome. But the problem is we're not a good employee. We're not good. We're not faithful with what's in our hand to do. And we keep praying and, and asking God, and God says, look, I need you to partner with me at work tomorrow morning. And you're like, but you don't know my boss. I've worked for some pretty terrible bosses. But here's the thing, I never worked for them. I worked for the Lord. My, 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 my view, and the way I looked, changed. And I had to keep my focus there. A reference on this would be Colossians 3, verses 22 through 24. He says, do everything as unto the Lord. So Nehemiah, he responds and says, if it pleased the king and if I have pleased, or if you're pleased with me, your servant, send me to Judah to rebuild the city where my ancestors are buried. This is so fascinating. I don't know if you catch what's going on here. A slave is asking his master... Hey, would you send me back? Would you send me to go do this thing that's been in my heart? And the story just gets crazier, by the way. We're about to start reading through it. I'm going to show you. how. The, but this is, this is what faith in action can look like. He says in verse 6, The king, with the queen sitting beside him, asked, How long will you be gone and when will you return? says, after I told him how long I would be gone, the king agreed to my request. Now, this is just a side note. There's two things I want you to catch here. Number one, Nehemiah had prayed through it. He had, he'd been praying for six months, remember. He prayed, God, give me favor today, but it took six months for God to open the door. He didn't get discouraged, but he, did, he had been praying, and he had thought it through, so he had some answers. One of my pet peeves is when somebody comes to me and they're like, I got a vision from the Lord. I got a passion and I ask a question like, I don't know. I'm like, then you're not that passionate about it. You need to go back and pray. Because many times what that is, is people say, I've got this passion that I want you to fix. I got enough problems. I don't need more. But he has answers. The king says, hey, when you're leaving, when you're coming back. 
Now this is where, so that's number one. Number two, and this is very, very, very important. If you want to do something that has massive impact with your life and God use you way beyond, is that Nehemiah stayed within the structure and the authority that he was in and God still opened an impossible door. I'll repeat that because you need to hear it. So many times we want to fight and push and scratch and claw and do all these things. Nehemiah stayed within the structure and the authority that he was in and God still opened an impossible door for him to accomplish what was in his heart. In Luke 7, we see the centurion that comes to Jesus and he says, Hey, would you come and heal my servant? And So Jesus says, Yes, I'll come. And then he sends word and says, Hey, you don't have to come to my house. Just begin to speak the word. He says, I understand how authority works. I, I recognize it. And Jesus calls his understanding faith. He says, man, I haven't seen faith like this in all of Israel. And the man's servant was healed. Why? Because of his understanding of authority. God worked for him. He didn't even have a covenant with God. He had no relationship with God. But because of his understanding of authority, God said, I work for that guy. See, many times we get so anxious to make something happen that we get outside of what God can and will bless. God doesn't bless our plans. He's not obligated to do what I want him to do. He's not my waiter. He's not grabbing me something to drink. He blesses what he ordains, what he calls, what he places on the inside of us. But it takes patience, which in us produces a genuine and a refined faith. It's amazing what a little bit of time, if you'll cooperate with the Holy Spirit, your motive can be changed and become right and pure. Where you started to pray and just say, God, use me to do something great. God says, I can't because your heart's not right yet. But I'll get your heart right. But it's going to take some patience between here and there. I said this a moment ago, just because something seems to be held up doesn't mean that God is not answering your prayer. It requires patience. I knew I was called to preach. And I remember I went and sat down with Pastor Sam there in Shreveport, my pastor. I just graduated high school. And I was like, man, I know I'm called to preach. And he asked me the most terrible question I've ever been asked in my life. Anybody calling you to preach? No, sir. I suggest you go to school then. Because how are you going to eat? Pastor, I ain't thought about that. (laughs) So I went to school, you know, but it, it was through the course of a few years. It was probably five years later, about before I stepped into really full time preaching ministry, if you will. See, God is committed to the process that he walks us through. It's just part of our life. It's part of his plan. It's not instantaneous, but God just says step at a time, step at a time, step at a time. And that's the refining of our hearts. So we have to let God develop us in his timing, not ours. It's not ours. And so we can understand these things. And so over in uh, 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 6. I'm going to read this out of the Amplified Bible, but it says, To humble yourselves, demote or lower yourself in your own estimation under the mighty hand of God, that in due time He may exalt you. Humble yourself. The message says it this way. It says, So be content with who you are, and don't try to put on airs. In other words, don't try to be somebody you're not. You just got to be you. God's not trying to create you to be somebody different. He created you the way you are for a specific reason and purpose. So be who you are, but be comfortable in who God's called you to be. 
Now, back to the story of Nehemiah in chapter uh, 2, verse 7. Because Nehemiah now has access to go. He has permission to go. And in verse 7, I, this is my own personal opinion, I think Nehemiah got a little confident. He's like, oh man, the king kind of likes me. This is a good day for me. And so then he says, in verse 7, he says, I also said to the king, if it pleased the king, let me have letters addressed to the governors of the province west of the Euphrates River, instructing them to let me travel safely through the territories on my way to Judah. Now that was because he was basically saying, if you mess with me, the king's coming for you. That's the paraphrase there. And then he says in verse 8, he says, please give me a letter addressed to Asaph, the manager of the king's force, instructing him to give me timber. Hey, I need you to open your wallet. He says, I need it to make beams for the gates of the temple fortress, for the city walls. And I love this one. And for me, a house. <laughs> King, I'm going to need a place to stay. I'm not sleeping on the dirt. I need a house. So would you give me some wood to, to build my house? You can tell that Nehemiah has caught some confidence. The last part of verse 8 says, And the king granted these requests because the gracious hand of God was on me. You could say it this way. He had favor. God's favor was on him. Let me read you verse 9. He says, When I came to the governors of the province west of the Euphrates, I delivered the king's letters to them. The king, I should add, had sent along army officers and horsemen to protect me. Not only does Nehemiah have access to go, not only is he fully funded to go, the king, he is so valuable to the king, he says, I'm going to send armed guards with you. That's how valuable Nehemiah, a cupbearer, was to the king. That's, that, that's unexplainable. That's favor. See, we ought to pay attention to where we have favor in our lives. God's favor many times will, will show you and will lead you in many ways. You're like, man, you know, people make statements like this. I don't know why, I just like you. That's the favor of God in my life. I like that you like me. I mean, I, I speak that over my life. Father, I thank you that you go before me with favor, that doors are open before I ever even get to them. Not because I'm somebody special, but you know what? I, I do have a pretty big God. I'm not going to insult God with small prayers. I want to pray some big ones because I want to what? I want to see something big happen. Sometimes favor can be so obvious that we completely overlook it. It's right there and we just don't even see it. But here's the thing about favor. It will open doors for you that you could never open. God's favor will take you way beyond yourself. Makes you look a lot better than you. You may be in business and you're one favorable business deal away from changing your family. That happened in my family. One deal. Can't explain it. Favor. Favor. There was faithfulness. Yes, there was a lot that built it. But it was favor. Changed the course of my family because of favor. If you're not believing for God's favor, you ought to. If you're applying for a job, you ought to say, man, I've got favor. People are begging to hire me. People are calling me for jobs that I didn't even apply for. You're like, well, that couldn't happen. It won't for you then. <laughs> jobs are hunting me down. So as I wrap this up this morning, you may be here this morning and, and you may say, man, I, I'm in a place where, man, I need a breakthrough. You, you don't know my story. You don't, you don't know what's going on in my life and my finances are crazy. And, and I, I, 
You know, a lot of money to me and a lot of money to you isn't a lot of money to some people. You may say, man, I am about to drown. My ship is going down. Quit complaining and start praying and asking God for favor. If he can get a king, an unrighteous king, to pay for Nehemiah a house, to pay for his safety and all all the provisions that came with that, he will work for you. And I'm telling you, as I was praying before I came out, I felt that the Lord stirred this morning, is that you are closer to your breakthrough than you think. Because it's just a moment of favor changes everything. A moment of favor changes everything. I want to read you two last verses. I don't think, I don't, I didn't put these up on the screen, but they actually come out of Nehemiah chapter 6, verse 15. But I want you to hear this. He says, so on October 2nd, the wall was finished. Now remember, this was impossible. Just 52 days after we had begun. The wall's completed. Now verse 16. He says, when, when our enemies and the surrounding nations heard about it, they were frightened and humiliated. Frightened and humiliated. See, Nehemiah got a reputation. Man, we don't know who that guy is. We don't know where he came from. Let me say it this way. He was a legend. He had a reputation. And when that guy prays, we don't know what happens. But man, God seems to do stuff for that guy. The last part, now this is the part I want you to catch this morning. Second part of verse 16, he says, They realized that this work had been done with the help of our God. They didn't even credit Nehemiah. They knew it wasn't Nehemiah. They were like, there's no way that God did all this. But they recognized that God had worked with Nehemiah, that Nehemiah had partnered in God's dream to restore, what? Honor to Jerusalem. And he used a slave to do it. And he used an unrighteous king to pay for it. If God can do that for Nehemiah, he'll do it for you. So I want you to be encouraged this morning. It doesn't matter how hopeless or or how... um, Endless and just seemingly like, man, there's no way. Hold on to your faith. Begin to ask God to work because he is still in the business of doing impossible things. Things that are so far beyond us. And I'll just tell you real quick, if you really say, man, I want to do something legendary for God. Just get used to being uncomfortable. If you like comfort, quit praying that prayer. Because God's going to upset your plans. But you know what? It's an amazing adventure. Can I pray over you this morning?